Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world. Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity, vulnerability, and responsibility. A transformed life is about growth, learning, and evolving. A transformed life leads to transformed communities, and transformed communities impact the world. One conversation at a time. Welcome, everybody to our summer series that we're in of increasing our vulnerability. Yes. Just a quick recap. We started off this season with making space for vulnerability. And then we got more detail into the sixth myth of vulnerability. And all this from Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead. Yep. So if you haven't picked up, picked up that book... Go get it. I know some of you have gone to the website. You want to download all her worksheets. That's so encouraging to our Mm -hmm. souls. Please continue to encourage us with texts and and emails. Um, And we love that you're digging in to this material. So we are up to a new part. We are. Of the summer. And we're going to end this summer uh, with this new topic that you have for us. Yep. In the spirit of increasing our vulnerability, there's a concept of learning how to shed our armor. Mm. So when you hear the word armor, what do you think of? What is armor to you? A-R-O-M-O-R, I think is how you spell it. Armor. No, I think I spelled that wrong. A-R-M-O-R. Armor. <laughs> He's currently looking that up in the book, but what do I think? <sighs> I think of Ephesians 6. Okay. The armor of God. The armor of God. Yes, I think of protection. Protection. You like protection. <laughs> I do. I want to be safe. <laughs> you want to be safe. You want to keep everyone uh, safe. I do. Yeah, yeah, mainly protection. That's, what I, that's how I see it. Yeah, we, we currently have no children, but we do have uh, a lovely niece and nephew. <laughs> And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the term uh, helicopter parent. Well, I like to refer to my wife as the helicopter Tia. (laughs) Because, like, you know, we'll be hanging out, watching the kids while uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law are, you know, getting stuff done around the house. And then we're in our living room, which is probably the safest place (laughs) that I know, uh, hanging out with the kids. And she'll leave me with the kids and she'll be like, hey. And she'll make that 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 sign, you know, you got eyes on them with the two fingers, and I'm like, what's what's gonna happen to them? I'm They're... going to the bathroom. I want to make sure both your eyes are in both the children. We're here hanging out, like reading a book <laughs> or working with dominoes and blocks or doing all types of stuff, you know. Which it's so different to me, you know, growing up as a kid in the '80s and, and '90s because I don't think we had like any, like, no. at least my mom. <laughs> well. <laughs> my mom was kind of more like oh you're still here you're still alive hey it's great here's some food here's a place to sleep <laughs> my mom was protective I think my, my dad was pretty much like go do whatever be wild he embraced my wildness mm. and I love that about my dad because I was a really wild child I was crazy yeah. well still I'm still crazy yeah. but what's that sound that you made you want to come closer <laughs> That's, so, a, that's how I imagine uh, Tia Patty on the helicopter with her binoculars <laughs> and her skyper, uh, skyper, sniper rifle in case uh, the bad guys are getting too close oh to her niece goodness. and nephew. <laughs> 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 I don't think I'll do that, but I Jimmy will do that sound and that will just remind me like, oh yeah, I'm doing it, am I? Yeah. Let's back up a little bit. <laughs> you know, and I, I think, yeah, anyway. So armor to you sounds like a great thing, you know, just, you know, I think to yeah, m- yeah. most people would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going into war. I'm going into battle. I, I need my armor. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, um, which is interesting because you're making me think of something. I don't have anything to look anything up. 
Um, you iPads behind you. Sorry. <clears throat> That's okay. I just thought of this. Yeah, we really got to get a video going oh, so you guys can see the setup in here. We're in my office. We have the mic in the middle between us. And you should see like his Bible, two Bibles, one book, uh, yellow pad, color pens. And it's um, it's a really funny imagery. Yeah. <laughs> but I love it. I, I've had visions of me bringing my husband cookies and milk to his library as he's deep into study. And it's been something I saw even when we were just going out. I, I knew we were going to get married. And um, I had those visions that gives me chills. This vision is so old, folks, that when she originally had the vision, it was regular cookies. <laughs> and now when she's bringing me the cookies, they're gluten-free cookies. Coconut. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, I think, I think it's interesting. I think we can tend to think of, I mean, we refer to it as like the spiritual battle, Mm -hmm. you know, we refer to it as, uh, this is us against the world, Mm. you know, like we're, we're fighting a battle, you know, all these things. And, um, I think, you know, in, in many ways, you know, life in the church can kind of like mirror life in the real world for lack of a better term. Because we can feel like we're in a battle, we have to look out for ourselves. We can't. We can't really be weak. We can't be vulnerable. Mm. Uh, you know, we kind of have to keep our cards close to our chest, mm. and we have to guard know, our heart. Guard our heart. All so- yeah. sorts of stuff like that. And uh, you know, we've kind of been drawing from Corinthians lately. Um, mm. You know, so I'm going to read another scripture from Corinthians. Uh, I do feel like the letters of Paul are those. It's just that type of literature in the Bible that it's so difficult to get your head around uh, what's in there. But it's like at the same time, the most quotable, you know, like, cause yeah. Paul is such a brilliant writer that he's, he, you know, he's, he's good like that. Like he, mm-hmm. he would be awesome at Twitter. I think, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I, I guess we settled on that. Uh, would it, Peter would be doing uh TikTok if he mm-hmm. was here. Yeah. Paul would probably be on uh, either Twitter or LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, definitely Twitter. Because people like to quote him a lot. Yeah, he's very quotable. (laughs) He would definitely have a blog and a YouTube channel. I don't think you'll have a YouTube. I think Peter will definitely have a YouTube channel. I think it would be funny because I think they both would. And they would have, we would have seen them like have like uh, YouTube battles with each other (laughs) where they would have publicly disagreed (laughs) with each other and then like publicly, publicly come back together. They could be. Mm, I love those two. Anyway, yeah. You were saying. Yeah, it's my... Uh, Corinthians. Yeah. You were in, talking about Corinthians. Yeah, so yeah. in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, it says, For we do not live in the world. We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we kind of went through it, I think, before... But I think, you know, it's a very interesting, like, little passage for me that, again, I feel like, you know, there's a world of interpretation in there, right or wrong, who's to really say. But the thing that I like to focus on is that, you know, we're supposed to be different. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not supposed to wage the war, war the way the world does. So if we are in a war, if this can be considered a war, I think we need different type of tools to be in this game and to do these things. But armor... So you think of armor as something protective, something you need to wear, uh, something that will keep you safe, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. So in her book, Dare to Lead, she kind of makes that case that there's a way of leadership, which she calls armored leadership, and there's a way of leadership where she calls daring leadership. One is all about protection, and one is kind of more about leading from a point of vulnerability, and so she kind of uses some, some examples that she's seen in her own research and her own experience training with people that I found extremely relevant uh, to my experience, um, you know, in the church, being in the church, um, being a volunteer leader in the church, you know, in terms of like the way, the ways I've led before in the past and, and what I want to do different. But I wanted to point out something that this concept of being armored in our leadership 
is not something that's a uniquely Christian idea. I think it goes way back into the Hebrew scriptures and into even the way that, you know, the Israelites looked at the way they needed even to approach God. So if you turn with me to Deuteronomy 22, love the book of Deuteronomy, but it has a lot of like weird things in it that I think, you know, again, most Christians, we don't spend a lot of time in these chapters, uh, but they have some really great ones like this one. If along the road you chance upon a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground with fledglings or eggs and the mother sitting over the fledglings or on the eggs, do not take the mother together with her young. Let the mother go and take only the young in order that you may fare well and have a long life. Interesting. Very practical day to day. (laughs) The other day I was out for my daily walk and I saw some Canadian geese. And some little, like, baby geese. And I was like, you know what? I just want to make a big stew. No, kidding. Um, That's actually not the scripture I really wanted to park out on. I just wanted to, like, I delight in how weird I think the Bible is. And how, like, there's just, like, such stuff in there that makes you go, like, wait, what? And this is one of them, the scripture I'm going to read next. In Deuteronomy 22. Oh, the other one was... uh... Just for fun. Just, just for kicks and giggles. Got it. You know? Even though you're the only one giggling in this room. <laughs> you don't like doing that? I'm, I'm the only one who likes to, like, find... Let me see what, like, the weirdest thing I could find in the Bible. It's all you, honey. Oh, yeah? All right. So what's the scripture that <laughs> we're going to look at? This probably all goes back to, like, when I was a kid in a Catholic school in, like, religion classes. And, like, they were going on about blah, 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 the Beatitudes, blah, 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 spiritual works of mercy. And I was, like, reading through my Bible because I was bored. And I was like, wait a minute, there are dragons in here? Can we talk about these dragons? That's so cool. <laughs> you know, wait, giants? What? You know, I was a super D&D nerd, so I was like, yes, more please. Um, so anyway, Deuteronomy 22 in verse 8, it says, When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof, so that you do not bring blood guilt on your house if anyone should fall from it. Okay. So you have the idea of if you're building a house, right, you have these flat roofs. You want to make sure there's what up there when you build a roof? Pillars? Like a Foundation? fence. Foundation? A fence, basically. I don't get it. Or a parapet, something like, so you can't fall off the roof. Oh, I see. So okay. if you build a roof and then you forget to build that, you know, someone can go up there and they could fall off mm-hmm. and then it's like... You know, wow, that that guilt, that blood is on you. Mm, You you know, you killed someone through your negligence. Um, So this is one of the justifications uh, that the Jewish people had for building basically what they would consider a hedge around the law, around the Torah. Interesting. Okay. Right. So the idea is that the Torah, right, first five books are like a beautiful house, you know, that Moses gave to us from God, brought down. Um, but we want to make sure that we don't fall from this house, that we don't accidentally break any of these laws, that we don't accidentally fall into sin. So what we're going to do is we're going to build a wall around it or a hedge around the Torah to kind of protect ourselves from this. Okay. So like, for instance, the Sabbath, you really have to, you know, they're very serious about the Sabbath. So instead of the Sabbath lasting for 24 hours, many people follow like a 25-hour just in case. Really? We don't end it early. Okay. Yeah. There's like laws about not wearing two different um, types of fabrics together. So they get very serious about that. It's actually people's jobs. You could hire someone to come with like a little like lens Mm -hmm. and examine all your clothing to make sure it's kosher, to make sure that there's no fibers being mixed up so that you know are very serious about not breaking these laws and the way they do it is by building like some type of barrier that keeps us from breaking these laws it's almost like putting up armor okay around the torah and it's a very interesting concept it's something that you know they find all over the bible and if you if you look through it you can find an instant an interesting almost discussion happening in the story about like is this important? This is something that many people have noticed. 
people have different interpretations about what this means. And I kind of wanted to read this to kind of get us to understand some of the discussions that are going on. In Genesis, or as I like to say, Genice. Thank you for laughing at my corny jokes. In Genesis 3, we'll start in verse 1. Uh, actually, we'll start in chapter 2, 25. It says, The two of them were naked, the man and his wife, yet they felt no shame. So when you're naked, what are you? Free. You're free, yeah. <laughs> and you're vulnerable, right? Yeah. Yeah, like people don't like being seen naked. Yeah. Right? We have a, a door that is usually left open. And when your dad comes, right, sometimes he walks in. And sometimes, like, I have, don't, I'm still changing or something. And, you know, your dad doesn't know, like, what that means, how to knock. Are we putting my dad out there? Absolutely. This is crazy. You know, uh, he doesn't know how to knock. I don't know why. I don't know if he grew up with doors or, or what. Uh, but he doesn't understand that concept. Or he didn't for a while. And so he used to just come in and I'd have yeah, to, like, I jump. I have to sit down with him. I have to, like, jump behind a door because I just came out of a shower. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, because we're vulnerable when we're naked. Yeah. Right? Now, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild beasts that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? The woman replied to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the other trees of the garden. It is only about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, You shall not eat of it or touch it, lest you die. So what's something interesting that you notice in that last sentence. What did God tell Adam about the tree of knowledge of good and evil? That you can't touch it? No, he didn't say anything about touching. What did he say? Eat. You can't eat it. Yeah. Right? So the idea here is that Eve has some type of extra thing around the command that God gave. Because God just gave one command. Mm -hmm. Don't eat it. Mm -hmm. So she has this idea in her head, don't eat it or don't touch it. Mm-hmm. And if we've learned anything through studying out the first, you know, chapters of Genesis, uh, there are no spare words mm, here. Correct. So there's an old rabbinic tradition that the serpent was like, really? And reached out and touched the tree <laughs> and shook it. And some fruit fell off. Mm-hmm. And he didn't die. Which called into question everything Eve had believed up until that point. And there's an old argument of whether or not Adam put a hedge around God's commandments. Adam put some armor around the commands of God because he was so afraid. And so there's one school of thought. Good job, Adam. You were trying to protect Eve. You were trying to protect yourself. That's exactly it. That's exactly it, my friend. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be building up this armor to protect ourselves from God, protect ourselves from, you know, getting it wrong, protect ourselves from falling into sin. There's another school of thought that we shouldn't add anything to God's words and that that process of putting that armor around God's words actually led to the fall. Because it created, like, holes that you could poke in. Mm-hmm. It created these illogical things these that could easily be argued around. So, yeah, that's kind of showing us. Wow. I think about all the rules that we create for ourselves to, quote-unquote, protect ourselves. And I'm, I'm particularly thinking about purity. Um, wow. That's pretty deep. Yeah, there's an interesting, um, you know, if you guys ever pick up the Jewish study Bible, which is what I was reading from, there's an interesting like commentary on that that kind of spells out, you know, everything I just said. So the thing I love about the Jewish study Bible is that it it doesn't even end with what's what's right. It's just like this is what we've been arguing for thousands of years. Enjoy. Welcome yeah. to the conversation. Yeah. You know, because it's it's hard to say, you know, like. Was that a good thing that Adam... Well, Adam had probably the best intentions, mm-hmm. right? Because God didn't tell Eve this. He told Adam. So the idea is that Eve, Adam must have told Eve. Mm-hmm. 
right, and added this prohibition, don't even touch it. I don't even touch that. I'm terrified. You know, God says I'm going to die. I don't want to die, you know. So, but on the other hand, it's like by going beyond God's word, it created that opportunity to, you know, really call into question God, his intentions, and start relying on our own wisdom and our own desires versus like just being vulnerable, being mm-hmm. open and vulnerable to God's wisdom and to each other. And we know, we know the rest of the story. So, I say all this to talk about, you know, I think there is a strong rationality for being armored in our leadership, armored in the way we conduct our lives. Um, And it's logical. It makes sense. We're afraid. We're afraid of things. And we have good reason to be afraid. Uh, But daring leadership takes that fear and walks into it. (laughs) Right? Yeah. It develops those skills to lean into discomfort, right? I think normal people, when they feel pain, what do they do? They want to pull out or pop a Tylenol. (laughs) (laughs) They want to pull away or pop a Tylenol. Yeah, you know, like you you feel you get burnt, you want to pull your hand back, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But like, you know, there's another way of like when we're feeling that emotional discomfort, it's learning how to lean in. And to, you know, move towards it where there is, you know, some type of pain or some type of discomfort, some type of uncomfortability. That's usually a clue that this is very, very important, that you're getting to the deepest parts of a person that you're getting. Yeah. You know, and this is something, guys, I want to be fully transparent. Uh, I've been a runner my whole life. You know, when I had difficult things happen to me. Growing up, my first instinct was to run. These are things that I was never equipped with and I was never given tools, you know, by my community, by my family on how to lean into uncomfortability. And, you know, my instinct is always to run. I have a problem with somebody. I want to run. I don't want to deal with it. I have a problem with someone at work. I don't want to deal with it. Why should I have to deal with this? I'm here to do a job. Hmm. I'm not here to be someone's counselor. I'm not here to, you know, be someone's emotional punching bag. I'm out, you know, in relationships. You know, I think growing up, I always found it easier to switch my group of friends than to actually deal with difficult conversations. Wow, you really hurt me there. Instead of saying that and maybe saying saving the friendship, I would leave and I would just go find a new group of friends. This I actually did this in high school. And it really upset my friends from elementary and middle school because some of us went to the same high school and I just got really annoyed at them. I mean, I've been over to houses. I I met their parents, met their siblings. Like we were like, we played sports together. We were like legitimate friends. And then like, you know, not knowing how to deal with, hey, what you said there really hurt me. What did you mean by it? Or like, tell me more. Or, mm. or learning how to uh, rumble with vulnerability. Yeah. Right? I was just like, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Found new friends. Because mm-hmm. I was a freshman in high school and that's what you do. You make new friends. And I did that. And, it, you know, I think that's always my instinct. And I don't think I'm alone. I think most people are probably wired the same way. Um, unless you had exceptional parents. Or you had some type of mentor in your life that helped you do this this is not i think the natural state of man Mm -hmm. you know so that's kind of what i see as the rationality for the armory this is why the armory exists we all have different types of armor we all have different ways and we're going to kind of go through some of them from her book there's actually 16 of them in her book uh 16 examples that she gives of armored leadership and then she translates that into what she calls daring leadership for each one uh, I wanted to do all 16. <laughs> um, we would have been done with this section of the podcast probably, you know, in 2021, 2022. Uh, but we want to move on in the fall to facing our responsibility. So we're only really going to go through a few of these. Um, but I think it's very, you know, it's very uh, helpful. And I think if you pick up this book, I think some of these discussions will help you approach the book in a way that I think if you're coming from a church 
point of view, a church lens, whether you're a leader, volunteer leader, or just a Christian disciple of Jesus, I think this type of thinking will really help you to kind of take this book and look at yourself and worry about yourself. Worry about yourself. You worry about yourself. Okay, so the first one, the first armor, which is, I think, kind of like strange. I don't think people would think of it this way, uh, but we're going to talk about it, is driving perfectionism and fostering fear of failure, right? That's kind of like the first armor that she talks about that she sees quite often. Driving perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And fostering fear of failure. And fostering... Fear of failure. Yep. And I think in uh, church cultures that are very into, um, you know, I want to say like being righteous Mm. or trying to like not sin, Mm. trying to like master that, I think this can be uh, something that's very common. Yes. So growing up as a Catholic, I think they were much more tolerant of yes. people's flaws. Mm-hmm. Like they had more of an attitude of where like, like let's say premarital sex, don't do it, it's wrong. But they weren't like into people's lives. Hey, you're sitting too close to that girl, what are you doing? It was kind of just like, this is the standard, you know, where I feel like in the church culture that I've, that I've been in... Um, more recently, it's like, you know, we look for that because we want to help each other. We want to keep each other from sinning. So we really like deeply examine each other's lives. And um, it can kind of like arouse in us a spirit of perfectionism. And I think we misunderstand perfectionism. I think most of us, even though we joke about it, we think of it as a good thing. We'll just be like, ha, 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 ha. sorry, guys, I'm just a perfectionist. <laughs> oh, Jessica's out. <laughs> Jessica's here. Sorry, guys. I'm just a perfectionist here. You know me. I keep everything in order. OCD should really be CDO because it's in alphabetical order. Why well, you're channeling it right you now. Know? <laughs> we or need we... to do a video. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think we think of perfectionism as meaning like, oh, I'm striving for excellence. Mm. You know, yeah. I just, I just want to be great. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, I think that's there. There's a difference. I think perfectionism is different than being excellent, right? Because perfectionism doesn't have to do with you. It has to do with people's approval of you. Say that one more time. Perfectionism doesn't have to deal with you getting better necessarily. It deals more with people's perception of how you're doing. Yeah. You know, uh, we. It, it tends to confuse us because then we become what we accomplish or how good we are based on a certain set of standards versus, you know, like who I really am. Mm. You know, I am what I accomplish and how well I can accomplish it. That's how we think of it. I think if we're really honest with ourselves and that's very others focused because we have to get our approval for that from like what other people say or think about us. Yeah. Right. It's, we ask ourselves, well, when we're asking, when we're thinking about doing something or making a decision, it's more about, well, what will other people think about what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. Right? It's, you know, it's not a way of avoiding shame, but it's like a function of shame. What do you mean? Explain that. So perfectionism is based on like, you, you almost need a shame culture for perfectionism in a culture to really take hold. Does that make sense? No. So if there's like an acceptable behavior mm-hmm. and there's like not acceptable behavior. Okay. And if you do the unacceptable behavior, you feel shame. Right. Right? Because you're feeling that from other people. You've let other people down. Mm-hmm. But when you do what's right, yeah. you you're, you feel like you can be free of shame. Yeah. But it's an illusion because that never ends. Right. Right? It's it, There always needs to be either more or you need to keep it up. Right. And it's like you just can't fail. You know, and it's a trap. Uh-huh. It's that desire for righteousness, wanting to be right by God, and trying really, 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 really hard not to sin. Yeah. You know, which in a sense, I feel like it almost makes sinning in- inevitable. Yep. You know, 
Um, again, you know, I'll say it again. I feel like we need a new definition of sin. Yeah. I don't think sin is necessarily, oh, I told 10 lies and like I looked at a woman lustfully. I think it's more of like a state of being. Right. Right. It's like, it's like, how am I? Right. What's my state? Right. And I think it's a hard concept to get your head around. Um, there are some clues in the language, you know, sin being related to an old word that's like from an archery term, meaning missing the mark. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like we still think of it as, okay, like we did something. I think it's just understanding that our whole state can be sinful. Right. So perfectionism basically sets us up for shame. I'm not enough. Mm, I'll never be enough. You know, I think we can lie to ourselves and say that, oh, I used to be, or at one point, you know, Um, but it's just not true. You know, it just sets us up for just feeling like terrible about ourselves. Right. You know, it's more common, like an honor shame type of culture, which is not necessarily the American culture that we have today. But I, th- I do think the culture is very strong in most churches. In your opinion? In my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In my opinion. I think that it can be more common in churches because it's like we really want to, we misunderstand sin. We want to be right by God. We don't want to sin. And so like we want to, it's like this perfectionism takes over and it just sets us up to feel shame. Yeah. I agree. Versus daring leadership now would be modeling and encouraging healthy striving, empathy, and self-compassion. Right? Healthy striving, um, it's different than being self... It's, it's more self-focused, not focused on what other people think of me. It's basically, like, how, how can I improve? How can I get better? You know? it's So, do you see that distinction? Absolutely. Yeah. It's instead of like thinking that like I need to check some boxes, it's recognizing the fact that you might be a mess and that's okay. You're enough. You're okay. We're going to get better over time. We're going to get a little, little better. It's very different. Um, I think this, one of the things that I think can set us up on this road, which set me up on this road, is a great scripture Going back to the Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter seven, verses eight to thirteen. Ha! Huh, look at that. My dyslexia kicked in. I made my three backwards. Oh, how funny! Well, not for me. I'm across <laughs> from you. You are. So you know this is in the middle of Paul's letter. Uh, This is the scripture that's commonly referred to as godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. (laughs) So even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any, any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. And leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern. What readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So this is a scripture that I remember being exposed to very early on in my Christian journey. Um, And... You know, for me, it was always painted as a picture of, okay, there's godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. And how do you know if it's godly sorrow or if it's worldly sorrow? <laughs> the uh, immediate change, wanting to, like, repent yeah. right away. Like, you got to do it. That, that alarm. Yep. you got to slap it in its face. Yeah. So I used to read the scripture, um, man, if, if I had godly sorrow, I would stop doing this. Because it would really have changed me. So I must have worldly sorrow. So now on top of, you know, like trying to just get, just do everything right and not sin and be righteous. Mm -hmm. When I was failing, I'd look at this and be like, wow, not only that, but I'm 
I obviously have worldly sorrow because here are the things I keep failing in. You know, I remember one person like yelling at me once and being like, could we just get over this so we can start working on other things? Like you need to like get over this, mm, you know, so sorry, <laughs> it's okay. It's not funny. Yeah. I mean, it's funny now. I don't see that as funny. I, this is probably why we're doing this podcast. I don't, this, this damages people. Yeah. This kind of discipling damages people. Yeah. I mean, you, you do have a point. You know, I mean, I'm talking about it, so it's probably still bothering me. Still rattling around there in my brain. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, again, a lot of things kind of fa- fell apart for me um, when I actually, you know, read the whole letter or understood understood things more in their context. You know, and I feel here that, you know, uh, what I read from here now is that godly sorrow is kind of like that journey. Is like the understanding that you're going to be progressing. You know, there, it's no regrets. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're laughing because of a skit uh, from a movie. I don't actually think I've seen the movie. But it's uh, so basically uh, two parents, they have a daughter. The daughter brings home a boy, right? And he's like, has all these tattoos. And he seems like not a great, they're not super happy that she brought him home. And he has a tattoo across his chest that says, it's supposed to say no regrets, but it's spelled wrong. So it's it says no regrets. And, I think we talked about this in yeah, the previous and, episode. And so like um, Jason Sudeikis, I think, is the dad. And he's like, uh, what? I like your tats, man. He's like, yeah, that's my motto. No regrets. And he's like, oh, wow, really? You don't regret anything? Not even like one little letter? You don't regret that? He's like, nah, man, that's my philosophy. Nah, regrets. <laughs> anyway, so that might be a total inside joke. Hopefully you guys are laughing somewhere. Um, but yeah, so this misunderstanding of godly versus worldly sorrow, it it really screwed me up for a while, you know? And when I saw it, when I saw, wow, I am enough, you know, Jesus died for me. Jesus died for the sins of the world, right? Making me enough, you know, freeing me to really go on this journey where I'm, I'm constantly getting better. I'm constantly striving. I'm having that empathy with myself. I'm having that self-compassion. And it's that healthy type of striving. It changed everything for me. And, you know, it really would break my heart when I would hear, you know, other people just getting stuck in these types of issues. Sometimes even using the scripture to talk about, like, I just don't know why I can't get it. I don't have that godly sorrow. I'm still doing these things. Yeah. Where it's like they were actually in a great place, you know, because they were trying to get better, mm-hmm. but their perfectionism was killing them. Yeah. This uh, scripture goes along, well, <laughs> the way this scripture also has been used is with the other scripture about um, when I sin. Um, oh my goodness, hold on. Romans 7. Should I sin then so grace may increase? Do you okay. want to read it real quick? Yeah, I do. Actually, I, I would like to read it. Sure. Okay. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. For what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. That's yeah, the one. That's great. That's the one. Um, the However, the way I've, in my own head as a baby disciple, you know, what I, the first thing that I get from that is I am flaw. Hmm. There's no hope for me. Hmm. See? The thing that I don't want to do, I keep doing. The thing I hate, I do. <laughs> I'm flawed. What is wrong with me? And and this is what I was saying. This is a serious thing because, as you know, yes, I'm a language coach. The, that words, statements that you tell yourself, such as, I am not enough, such as, I am flawed. Those words create an image, and those images influence your feelings. And in the midterm, 
those words that you've been telling, those words become your story. Hmm. And in the long term, that story becomes your reality. And anything you do or say to fix that edits itself back to that reality. And I share with people, we could, you could hammer yourself with scriptures, but if you believe that you are not enough and that you are a flaw, it's going to be edited out. You got to go back. And so I really appreciate what you're doing here because it comes from a belief mm-hmm. of how we read the scriptures and why it's so crucial for us to step in with new lenses on how to read the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's important too because when I mean, you dive into a scripture just like there, it can be confusing because mm-hmm. we're reading it from like a certain point of view, a certain lens. Yeah. You know, and then we miss things where, you know, Paul talks about, you know, he doesn't judge anyone. He doesn't even judge himself. doesn't right. mean he's innocent. His conscience is clear. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's just... It's understanding, like, really what Paul, I think what Paul was saying there is, like, godly sorrow is that healthy striving. Mm-hmm. It's not being perfect. It's not trying to be perfect. And worldly sorrow is, in a sense, because you're trying to just, you know, fix this. You need to fix it. You need to get, you need to master this. Mm-hmm. And it's that perfectionism that leads to just this utter shame. Yeah, it's a instant gratification. Mm of getting quote-unquote right yeah versus the progression and as you mentioned the journey yeah um in that again it's you know with the daring it's striving it's having compassion because you know you're in a path of growth you're evolving and you know our our lovely trailer right it's about changing and evolving sure yeah it's a a journey yeah yeah you know and i think i've seen this come uh really into crystal focus um with what's been called purity culture Mm. in a lot of our churches wow you know and then you know when you say a word like purity if you don't understand the lens that this is coming from, you could you can get very confused because the Old Testament has lots of purity laws and being impure is not necessarily being in sin. Right? It's it's something else. It's not being clean or there being a death. Right? And there's that's a whole other podcast, it's a whole other lesson. But when we talk about purity culture in modern evangelical Stone Campbell movement churches, it usually has to do with sexuality. Yeah. And it usually has to do with, uh, you know, like how people are dating, how people are courting each other, how men and women who are not married are interacting with each other. Uh, it has to do with masturbation, pornography, um, being, uh, they'll say, completely pure before marriage, you know, like not having sex, not kissing, not doing anything else before marriage. Um, so there's this idea of a purity culture. And uh, the, the reason why I think it kind of falls into this whole godly sorrow, worldly sorrow, Second Corinthians 7, what you just mentioned from Romans 7, um, and perfectionism is because it's, it's a, a way of like, you know, like kind of setting ourselves up for shame. Mm-hmm. Like here are the rules that I have to follow to be a good person. Here are the things I can and cannot do. Yeah, and it goes back to the beginning of it about creating this protection mm-hmm. that is actually enabling you. Yes. Yeah, and that's when I, that's why I said purity was the first thing that came to mind. Uh, and I know where the heart is to protect. The heart is, it's not with evil intent whatsoever. And... I'm not, com- uh, well, evil content. And when I mention this is serious, it's because we want to start looking at it um, with different lenses. Mm-hmm. And and that that's really at the heart of this podcast. Yeah. And so grateful that you even started with asking questions because when we learn to ask better questions... 
it sets us up to tr- look at the two sides of the coin and that allows different lenses like for you to switch from one side over to the other um, so I'm, I'm loving this progression here and I know we came out with themes in the brainstorming process but just how everything's coming together um, I, I'm just I'm very encouraged about yeah. um, and even obviously as um, we, I know we're in COVID but we're not isolated so we're connected to people and these yep. are some of the stories and these are some of the things that are happening in 2020 in our circles in our conversations and the timing of it could have not been more perfect than now. Yeah, you know, I, I think so too. And I think purity culture is one of those things that where, you know, we can clearly see how, you know, perfectionism versus, you know, healthy striving, empathy and self-compassion has really done a lot of damage to people over the years. You know, I, I tend to see, I mean, this is my own experience as well too, like coming into the church, you know, in my 20s. I think it might have even been like a little before my 20s mm-hmm. um, and just, you know, getting all excited about this stuff and really wanting to live my best life ever, live a life that's righteous. And then all of a sudden it became all about these rules, all about these things that it kind of like, again, it put that hedge up around hedge. That's the yeah, word. Mm-hmm. my heart and around, you know, the Bible and around people. And I think over the years, it, you know, it did damage mm-hmm. to the way even I saw women, the way I saw myself, the way I saw my own sexuality, uh, which, you know, I think it's damaged a lot more people than it's kind of saved from any type of thing they could have gotten into, you know, because of following this purity culture. And uh, I think, you know, the I think we're going to talk about this later, but we think that we can like put up these walls and we can like protect ourselves from a single thing mm-hmm. or a single set of things. Mm-hmm. But the problem is a wall is a wall. And when you put up a, you know, if you don't like your, if you don't like your neighbor for whatever reason, just one of your neighbors. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you put up a huge fence mm-hmm. around your house mm-hmm. that also keeps the neighbors that you like from coming to your front porch yeah. and hanging out. It might keep mail coming, you know, and if, you know, like we get checks from different things that we do. So if the mailman can't come to us, we don't get paid, you know, but that fence, yeah, it's protecting us from those neighbors we don't like, Yeah. but it, it's, it, it's not specific. You put up a wall, you put up a wall and that keeps lots of things out, the good and the bad, Yeah. you know? So uh, there's a great movie on this uh, called I Kissed. I survived I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was coming into uh, the church, it was uh, it was a big book. He had just written, I think, another book called Boy Meets Girl. Uh, I want to say his name is Josh something, but I can't remember it right now. It'll be in the show notes. Yeah, it'll be in the show notes. Um, but it's a great documentary. I know he's currently going through some things now in his life that make most people in this space kind of dismiss everything he was saying in this documentary and some of the apologies he's made. But he was someone who, like in his 20s, wrote a book that had a huge impact on the purity culture. A lot lot of ways people dated and a lot of ways that people, you know, built their lives. And it just really damaged a lot of people. And he owns a lot of that in the documentary. I love that. I hope that we could carry out some of that message into self-responsibility. Yeah. Like to me, I call that radical self-responsibility. Sure, yeah. He did. So, yeah, we could piggyback later. But yeah, that that was actually... I was hesitant to watch it at the beginning because Jimmy had all these documentaries for us to watch. (laughs) That's what we do. We're nerds. So we watch documentaries uh, for a spare time. Uh, We call that research night. Uh, and, uh, so it, uh, there's, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much notes you have on that, but I want to ask you a few questions that may be in some of our listeners' minds. Sure, please. Yes, that'd be very helpful. When it comes to this discussion. So, um, 
first with the godly and the and the worldly because these are these are the this is a very like anchor scripture the many sisters um have either memorized we quote each other on i've personally even told you it's like <laughs> sounds like someone's having worldly sorrow oh absolutely because you are feeling guilty and where's <laughs> guilt gonna get you brother uh, nothing no i'll be more dramatic i'll say death oh wow <laughs> you know and so this hits home in the sense that i've been also looking at this scripture this way so when and i know i summarized it into godly being progression worldly this instant you know i gotta do it right now um but it may not be the same reaction to someone who's saying but it's right there sure some of the danger of of paul's letters um and some of the ways that we've used them incorrectly i in my humble opinion, the ways I've used them incorrectly uh, is Paul is just so quotable and he just like, he's got like a really great writing style, you know? Um, I think, I think what I've done in the past is I've let Paul inform the way I see Jesus instead of letting Jesus inform the way I read Paul. Wow. Yeah. One more time. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've let Paul inform the way I read Jesus instead of the way it probably should have been, letting Jesus inform the way I read Paul. Yes. That's so refreshing. Yeah. And there are some great books that I've talked about before that's kind of helped me on this, like Reading Backwards. can't remember the name of the author right now. Um, N.T. Wright has been really pivotal for me in this. And even just like, <laughs> I think when you try and get really too deep into the Bible, and then especially Paul, Paul would mess me up like this all the time. He would quote from the Old Testament. And then I would actually go and look it up. And I'd be like, I think Paul just used scripture out of context, <laughs> you know? And I was listening to a podcast actually this morning about the same type of issue. Um, one of, um, it was a Peter N's podcast, Bible for Normal People. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had one of his old teachers on from seminary, from Harvard Divinity School on the show. And he had written a book called How to Read the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, which it's definitely on my list now after getting to talk about this guy. And he was like, he was basically saying that the way the apostles and the New Testament authors use scripture would probably get them kicked out of most seminaries because like they weren't following the rules. Mm -hmm. So like, I remember like even in some of my margins, I'd be like, this is wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Paul is using this wrong. Like, you know, like, because the context was right there for a lot of, you know, but there were, there was a different way of reading the scriptures that I, I hadn't tapped into yet that I think I'm still learning to tap into, yeah. you know, because I come from a very modern Western historical context. You know, I want it to be in the text. You know, we have this idea in Protestantism, Protestantism, sola scripture, scripture alone. So I want to be able to understand everything, just the scriptures and uh, to really go deeply into it. It's kind of impossible. Yeah. Uh, The second thing that may have sparked, uh, and this is especially for our younger sisters who are not married. Sure. My hat sparked some leaning into what did he just say? So, you mm-hmm. know, the in the topic sex before marriage. Right. Uh, and so that brings like all these alerts. And so I don't know. This is maybe part of my helicopter Thea <laughs> in here. <laughs> because... I think, you know, we are talking about this hedge and this protection and now, and, and, I, and I am understanding how you're walking us through into the difference of armor and daring leadership. But there's the other side and, that's, and I think you and I had talked about it maybe a few days ago 
So are we just going to let people do whatever they want? <laughs> <laughs> so are we to like let loose here? And so like, let's just kind of piggyback on that and just kind of bring that closer. Because that was just, it sounded like a term out there. Um, and I know you quoted that documentary, but even right. in that documentary, it's like zero mention on it. So they did touch on it briefly. I think that's one of the things he was wrestling with, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the whole making of that documentary, which I thought was very honest. He was like, you know, some people want me to throw out everything I said and, you know, all these standards, but I just, I just can't, you know, I'm very, I'm deeply sorry for the way I've hurt people and the way people took my 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 writings and my work, I definitely would have wouldn't have said a lot of things I said when I was twenty. Looking back now, I think he was like in his mid forties um, when documentary was being filmed. Um, so basically, I think it's a it's a very good question because then it's like, yeah, what's going to happen then? Are you going to mm-hmm. have just like a church that just looks like a whole bunch of people running around? doing who knows what. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to set that aside for a second. And I want to propose that I think maybe let going of all of purity culture, you would get a church that was much more honest, Mm -hmm. much more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, in, you know, I've heard of leaders, you know, getting removed for various things. You know, that it's not like they cheated on their wives, but maybe they, they were giving into masturbation, mm-hmm. right? I wouldn't do that. To me, that's someone that's health striving, trying, you know, and maybe if they were able to be in a culture where they could be more vulnerable with what was going on, they might actually get help. So I think in one sense, yeah. Church is going to look a lot more messy when you stop telling people what to do. Mm-hmm. But then I think you actually look more like a church that you see reflected in some of the letters of Paul. Church is messy. Church is supposed to be messy. That's just that's just it. Yeah, and that's a mess that, um, again, we've been uh, redirecting so many of our friends of how to read the Bible. Uh, the videos are great, and I watched them twice already. I'm diving into the podcast and wow, like I I actually had skipped that series and I went straight into the wisdom. Oh, did you get that <laughs> when, wisdom when I when I first got started with the podcast and yeah. I'm like, did I miss on goal? Yes, I did. sure did <laughs> because that's foundation and that's mm-hmm. one of the things. So anyway, so in in his second in what's in the Bible. John is going through a paradigm shift Hmm. on this topic. And I think you just said something really key with the whole messiness. It's that we're wired for things to be clean, for things to be black and white, for things to be easy with a choice. And it's not about that. It's kind of like rumbling with vulnerability. It's wrestling with God. It's messy. Yeah, so I think this is probably a good time for us to end here. Yes. And then um, we'll, we'll park here for the next episode. Um, so, like, yeah, as you just said, it's, it's more messy, you know? And I think when looking at these two, like, modes of operation, mm. like driving perfectionism and fostering fe- fear of failure, that armored leadership, and the daring leadership, which is modeling and encouraging healthy striving, empathy, and self-compassion. Yeah. I think when we when we look at those and we hold them up, I think one of, one of the ways that this kept me from seeing it for many years, um, and it's still a challenge to me to today, because like the idea of a messy church kind of scares me a little bit. Yeah. But I'm you know I'm learning to embrace that. Mm. Is uh you know you can look at all the things that you are comfortable with, with the healthy striving and a daring leadership, because I think there are some areas where we're like yeah my pride, yeah my arrogance. Yeah, my my honesty. Yeah, my uh, my anger. We're we're comfortable, healthy striving, or the idea of that. But then there are other areas, like I think, sexual sins. Um, I think false the idea of false doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of uncertainty. We need to be certain. We need to mm-hmm. know things. 
I think those are the areas that we are very armored against. Yeah. And, you know, we want to scripture verse the death. Scripture verse the death yes. out of these concepts. Yes. We want to know. Yes. We want to we want to attain some mastery over the, these things. We can almost look at it like basic Christianity. We make like a section or a box. Like if you're going to be a Christian, these are all the basic things you need to be able to do. Yeah. And uh, I'm learning in my own life to embrace a little bit more messiness. And I want to show you a scripture that actually helped me admit this to myself. I think you do a great job. I. Whew. You don't want to go any more scripture. <laughs> no, no, no. I say, I say, I, I believe um, you. You certainly do a better job on staying in attention hmm. and staying in messiness. Because since we started dating, I'll ask you a question. You'll be like, "Well, yes and no." Wow, I wanted to like scratch you. I want either yes or no. What do you mean yes and no? And sometimes it was yes, yes, no. We don't know. Maybe. <laughs> so Ecclesiastes 7, um, this was kind of like something that really opened my, my mind to this early on, um, that I was seeing things wrong. And Ecclesiastes 7, which was a favorite book of mine, because it almost reads like a bunch of stoic philosophy and i love the stoics in verse 15 of chapter 7 it says in this meaningless life of mine i have seen both of these a righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness do not be over righteous neither be over wise why destroy yourself i was like what and i think it was in the middle of me just really really trying to gain mastery on some things and feeling this shame and this guilt and this perfectionism just barreling down on me and suffocating me and my own spirituality, almost like snuffing the life and the love out of my heart. And, you know, in a weird way, my heart was almost getting harder and more callous as I was building up these walls, trying to protect myself. But I was protecting myself from life. Mm. I was protecting myself from love. As well, I I was trying to protect myself from all these other things these undesirable things I didn't want in my life. And I was like, wow, can you actually be too righteous? <laughs> can you be too wise? And I was like, of course, I'm too wise. That's been my problem. But then I had to deal with other things with that statement. Like humility. Yeah, like humility, <laughs> right? Uh, I wrote that book about how to be humble, how to be like me. But I'm bump Ching! Um, dad joke. Bad joke, yeah. No, it's a dad. Oh, dad joke, right? Yeah, without being a dad. Uh, T.O. joke. <laughs> T.O. joke. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but just that idea of, like, what does that even mean? And then, you know, it led me to, like, really look at the Pharisees. Mm, and ouch. Think, and think about how much they loved the scriptures, how much they loved. I think we miss that. Yeah. I think we we cast them too often in the light of the villain, you know, in the Gospels. And, you know, we, we miss things. You mentioned that to someone who... I loves did. being right and the person was like um. no they did not most people I've mentioned this to do not get it like they're like what and then I'm like don't you see it like we're Pharisees like you know I. It's well you not... said who loves being right you're like I read the Pharisees yeah yeah exactly <laughs> you know and I, I, I was think, like oh snap that is so true yeah it led me to see myself mm-hmm. and it led me to see uh, us like yeah. the church like yeah in that role and I was like wow you know like Jesus was more comfortable with the mess of the world than we are he, yeah. em- he embraced the sinners yeah. you know it's not the well that need a doctor but the sick right and um, what does that what does that look like how does that look like what is that gonna be you know how do we do that and I think it's kind of becoming more comfortable with that godly sorrow which is that healthy striving it's that empathy for each other, mm. right? And that self-compassion mm-hmm. of just understanding that, you know, it's okay. Mm-hmm. We're going we're gonna to keep going, you know? We don't need to switch it off wow, and get better. Snappy snap. Sorry. My snaps are a little bossy. Um, so, yeah. So, I think that's a good place to leave it from there. Armored leadership, driving perfectionism, and fostering feel of failure. Daring leadership, modeling, and encouraging healthy striving, empathy, and self-compassion. There we go. That's the episode.
that's awesome, honey. And um, just to remind everyone, we do have roundtables uh, the last Friday of every month. We're so grateful for people who are joining us and even uh, live on the chat on Facebook. Um, so if you are joining us because you've watched a virtual roundtable, welcome welcome to the conversation um because it's sort of like when you keep mentioning about paul like uh, how we're like opening somebody's letters so i think people that drop in in the live facebook are dropping into a conversation that comes from somewhere and that is from this conversation (laughs) so welcome to our podcast again guys the the show notes are on our website at www why superstar slash life to the full podcast with Jimmy. It's loading you with um, the the show notes. And we also have the one thing I wanted to bring up too is that we have a Slack channel where he's going to put the deeper, deeper dives in and we're going to have more conversations going in there. Uh, the way you do it, you subscribe to a mailing list, which we only send emails once a season. So don't worry about it. I'm not going to email you every week or every day. I hate getting emails. So I don't like sending emails to people. So we do updates every season. Um, join the conversation on Slack. Um, we hope to have even uh, Zoom uh, meetings in there. Yeah. And um, we really want to... Um, you know, continue the conversation, not just live, but also in our private community. So thank you guys for joining us. Adios, muchachos. And muchachas.